you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, now we have been, uh, those of you who are here regularly know, we have been making our way through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, then in the summers, we take at least some time out of Mark, and we've been going over, last summer we went to 2 Peter chapter 1, and this summer to uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, and the Lord willing, next summer we'll break out of Mark again and go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, there's a connection in the, uh, uh, in the early church between Peter and Mark. It's thought that Mark probably got much of the first-hand sort of material uh, about Jesus directly from Peter. He had a relationship uh, with Peter, and, uh, and no doubt uh, that would have lent itself in in that direction, um, Peter, specifically Second Peter, um, is a, a chapter that's focused very much on a topic that we don't spend a ton of time on in modern Christianity, namely the judgment of God. And as we'll see over the next few weeks, as we make our way paragraph by paragraph through Second Peter 2, not only it touches on the judgment of God, but with a fair bit of intensity and, um, and, and sort of gusto uh, to an extent, which is a, uh, a word uh, needed in our time, as we'll have more to say about over the next coming weeks, including and starting this morning. But with that said, let's stand together and I'll read Second Peter Two, one to three. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction does not sleep. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we exalt you as our God and our King. And we are among those who mean to bless your name forever endeavor. All this day, we mean to bless your name, to praise your name forever and ever. For you, O Lord, are great, and you are to be praised exceedingly. 
to your greatness, to your power, to your holiness, to the reach of your knowledge, to the depth of your wisdom. There is no searching. Generation after generation ponders your works, and they tell among your people of your greatness. The splendor of the glory of your majesty, the matters of your wonders, are to be the meditation of our hearts and minds, and may it be so. Even this day we find ourselves pulling aside from all the cultural focuses and distractions and finding ourselves meditating on the majesty of the glory of your splendor upon the matters that your wonders have displayed before us. O Lord, may it be so. May you help us as we seek to be those who fear you and as we recount your greatness. Remember your goodness to us, O Lord. Pour it out before us in your righteousness. May we continuously lift up our our voice to you. Lord, you are near to all those who call upon you. Lord, we pray for our young people who have gone down to Kansas City to minister in the coming week in the city down there with all kinds of kids that come from challenging backgrounds. Lord, may you be near our team. May you enable them to speak the truth in love and to love those kids with consistency and in a way that will stand out to them. Lord, may you enable them to present the truth clearly and lovingly and live the truth among one another as well as among those kids. Father, we thank you that you have made us to be among those who fear you. And you have promised that the desires of all those who fear you, you are certain to do. And that you will hear our cry for help and that you will save us. Lord, you have promised to be the one who keeps watch over all those who love you. And you have warned us that the wicked shall be destroyed. O oh Lord, may our mouths be found among those who speak your praise. May we be found among all those in the world 
who bless the name of your holiness and bless it forever and ever, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You see the... There's a lyric from my misspent youth that's come into my head over and over again throughout the years, but especially in the last 10 years as the sort of the massive and rapid cultural slide in the United States has unfolded in and around and before us. Um, uh, it's a real simple line. It just, it just it just goes this way. They've all gone crazy lately. They've all gone crazy lately. My friends out there. And so it seems. They've all gone crazy lately. It is really good and somewhat encouraging To be reminded when you open something like the epistle to Peter. To be told that that sense of things is nothing new. That is how the people of God have experienced the world since the beginning. Particularly, that's how the church of God has experienced the world since its dawn. After all, the Church of God is born into Roman Empire times. It's born into a culture where paganism isn't merely there. Paganism is the established norm of the culture in which Judaism and then Christianity as it rises out of Judaism, claiming to have found and declared and followed Israel's long-expected Messiah, that's where these people lived. In a very secular, self-important world empire, infused and shot through with paganism in every direction. And we're watching, of course, a reemergence of secularism in our time, a reemergence of paganism in our time. And everybody who studies these things agrees about this piece, which is relatively rare when all of the scholars are on the same page about anything. But about this, they are relatively on the same page. The first sort of major step in heading down the road in the intellectual West, Europe, the United States, to secularism, is the disappearance of the doctrine of the judgment of God. The disappearance of the doctrine of the judgment of God. Some merely refer to it in short, pithier terms, the disappearance of hell, the disappearance 
of hell. Um, and it has disappeared. And the judgment of God has disappeared. Uh, when people are discussing whether or not you should believe in God, uh, they all agree about this. You certainly are not going to believe in the kind of God that Augustine believed in, where all kinds of people perish eternally. Of course, nobody believes in that anymore, and nobody ever will. Because that, that's just, you can just dismiss that in a second. Forget about that. No credible intellectual person is going to believe such a thing. And that makes sense to us now. That makes sense to us now. We also, of course, of course. When in fact, not only is the doctrine of judgment found in the pages of the New Testament, but it's embraced by all of the greatest Christian thinkers down through the ages until its disappearance. Augustine, I've already mentioned. 800 years ago, Thomas Aquinas. 500 years ago, Luther and Calvin. 300 years ago, here in the United States, particularly Jonathan Edwards, and even just the last 70 years or so, Yale University Press, Yale University Press, republishing the works of Jonathan Edwards, make this claim repeatedly about him at Yale, that Jonathan Edwards was likely the most significant philosophical mind that North America has ever produced. And Jonathan Edwards believed strongly, powerfully in the doctrine of judgment. And that doctrine, though, almost seemed to die with him about 1758, as then it simply seems to disappear off the face of the intellectual landscape. Unless you wander over into Second Peter, for if you go there, you'll find it waiting for you. Uh, fairly center stage, right through the entire focused, dense, very packed together chapter. Listen again to how Peter puts it. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their greed, and they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation for long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Destruction, destruction, destruction. Three times in three verses as Peter opens 
Second Peter. I just state our thesis for this morning this way. Divine judgment is a near and present danger to humanity. That's how Peter sees it. Divine judgment is a near and present danger to humanity. Um, We'll look at this from just three angles uh, this morning uh, as we make our way toward the Lord's table. Number one, uh, there is much at stake in our spiritual commitments. There is much at stake in our spiritual commitments. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresy. So the first thing Peter does is he does this really brief, one phrase long history lesson. He would, he would just say, uh, think of your Old Testament. What do you find in the Old Testament? Fairly broadly, you find false prophets. Not only do you find false prophets there, but a good deal of the time, what that false prophet is saying is that the judgment of God that the true prophets are announcing is overblown. And you don't want to take it all that seriously, and they've certainly overstated the case. Just in my regular Bible reading this past week, I happen to be going through Jeremiah chapter 28. And it's in Jeremiah chapter 28 that Jeremiah has just announced to Israel that Jerusalem is being destroyed and that the nation of Israel is going into exile for 70 years. And Hananiah the prophet comes to the king and says, no, 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 no. Not going to be anything like that. Not going to be anything like that. Thus says the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar is going to return the utensils of the temple and he's going back to Babylon and the whole thing wrapped up, tied with a bow, two years. So it's not that big of a deal. We just got two bad years, kind of like going through COVID. And then we'll come out the other side and everything will be fine. That's what he was saying. That's what he's been saying. Well, the false prophets are... He says, As there was false prophets in Israel, don't be surprised. There are false teachers in the midst of the people of God, in the midst of the church. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, I I mean, all the translations read destructive heresies, and so you... It's, it's, it seems bold to say, well, that's not. But, but actually, I mean, the word translated there, heresies, is literally just the word for sect. Uh, now, it's a heretical sect in this case, but the idea is really that the false teachers produce groups of people who think and act in a certain way. That's what they do. They produce groups of people that act in a certain way. In other words, it's this same word that's used repeatedly of Christians in the book of Acts, where most of its uses take place. So Acts 24, 14. 
But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a word with negative connotations. The Jewish mainstream calls Christianity a sect. It's not a compliment. But it's just a, a group of people with different beliefs and different practices. Acts 24, excuse me, Acts um, 28, 22, right at the end of the book of Acts. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect that you belong to, Paul, here's all we know about it. Everywhere in the empire it's spoken against. Now I mention that because what Peter is saying here is this. uh, That a sect of people arises through false teaching. And that sect will experience spiritual destruction. So destructive heresies is actually a sect of destruction. A sect that if you belong to it, you will experience spiritual destruction as a result. That in this sect of people you are taught to think and to act in ways that will put you in line to receive the judgment of God. But notice that this particular kind of false teaching, this isn't done by secularists. This isn't Islam. This is not Buddhism in Mongolia. This is not Confucianism. This is a group of people claiming to speak for Christ. This particular false teaching is given in the name of Christ. And that's why he goes on to say what he does. These false teachers deny the master who bought them. That is, they actually deny Jesus, but they claim the name of Jesus. They claim the forgiveness of Jesus. They claim a connection with Jesus. But everything they actually say is contrary to the will and way of Jesus. And by so doing, by denying the master who bought them, they bring upon themselves swift destruction. Swift destruction. Often quoted text from Hebrews, Hebrews 9, 27. We read this. And just as it appointed for a man once to die, and after this comes judgment, either vindication or destruction. It's appointed unto a man. Once to die, to die once. And after this comes destruction. Um, It comes swiftly. Well, we know that by our own experience, right? The first popular album that I ever listened to straight through was not mine. 
Uh, we had gone down the summer of 1972, my, my family, to help out in a Christian camp, a Broken Arrow Bible Camp, which is 18 miles south of Gallup, New Mexico. My mom was the cook down there. My older brother uh, was uh, going to be a camp counselor, and, uh, and I was on the grounds crew. Um, and the grounds crew guys, uh, we stayed in our own little little cabin, and, uh, and the director of the camp down there uh, had his 19-year-old little brother spending the summer with him trying to help straighten his little brother out. Um, and his little brother, uh, who was 19, he had, he had um, the album Sweet Baby James by James Taylor from 1970. And, uh, and I asked him if I could listen to that, a little tape deck in there. And so that's the first, before I ever bought an album, years before actually I ever bought anything, I listened to that. He only had the one tape that I had any interest in, so I don't know how many times I listened to it that summer, but I sort of learned that. Uh, I learned that album in the summer of 1972. And thinking about that, looking at this verse, there's one line in there in a song that you've never heard of. It's a song called Anywhere Like Heaven, where James Taylor wrote this really penetrating line, if you're looking back already 51 years to when you listened to it for the first time. He wrote this, Oh, people, they live from day to day, and they do not count the time. And then here's the line. And they don't see their days slipping by. And neither do I. People, they live from day to day. But they do not count the time. They don't see their days slipping by. And neither do I. Now you put that together. With Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto a man to live this short life which goes flying by. And then comes the judgment on that life. It's not that the judgment comes immediately at the end of every life. Judgment comes at the end of the age. But what's going to be judged at the end of the age is that life. Whether it was 20 years, 80 years, whatever it was. And Peter says, it goes by swiftly. It goes by swiftly. The destruction is swift at the end of our short life. Now that is a message you don't hear very often. It's his message. It's his message. Secondly, there is much at stake in our sexual commitments, kind of out of nowhere, it seems, though the history of false teaching definitely dovetails with sensuality and sexuality a fair bit. Verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality. 
And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now again, the word is broader than sexuality there. The word he uses is basically a word for lack of self-control in whatever area. And the the two most often sort of alluded to would be uh, money and, and sexuality. But in the New Testament, sexuality absolutely dominates the landscape in the use of the word. In fact, when you look it up in the lexicon, here's the, the three most prominent renderings. Sensuality, licentiousness, and debauchery. Uh, sensuality, licentiousness, and debauchery. Now, now just think about this for a second, of how subtle this is and how widespread this actually is in our, in our own day. This is the... Um, uh, we're, early, we're, we're early in, in July still, and so we've just very recently, uh, very recently um, left... Uh, Pride Month, the month of June, where where many, many churches, some of the most widespread denominations in the United States, draped flags on the front of their building. And the meaning of those flags was this. We are proud of every act of sensuality that you can imagine. We are celebrating every kind of licentious behavior and debauchery that you can imagine. And there's nobody that we're prouder of than those who practice some form of licentious, debaucherous behavior Let it be known, that's who we are. And we're proud to be that. Well, Peter's just telling us, those two things, false teaching and that attitude towards sexuality, have a history that go back all the way to the beginning of the Christian church. Uh, That is nothing new. And many will follow their, speaking of the false teachers, their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth is blasphemed. Now just, just think of how it looks. If you're a, if you're a Muslim uh, living in Iran, um, you're a Muslim living in Iran where the gospel has been spreading and and trying to spread. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a prayer book uh, that is designed to help people uh, pray for the world uh, helpfully in a year, missions-wise. It's called Operation World. It's almost a thousand pages long. And, uh, and what it does is it just gives uh, economic background, cultural background, religious commitments of a, of a nation, spends two or three pages talking about uh, middle-range nations, 
10, 12 patient, day, patient, uh, pages talking about places like China or India. But one of the easy, simple breakdowns is that if you look at the United States and the census that they worked off of and the one I have, 2010. 2010, um, what percentage of the United States is Christian? Um, well, 70, I think, it was, I think it's 77.6. 77.6% of the United States is Christian, and you're, and you're in Iran. I say, okay, so clearly America is a Christian nation, and they celebrate Pride Month from a Muslim point of view. There you go. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. And you're thinking of converting to that? Are you joking? That's what he means. That kind of thing. My name is blasphemed because these false teachers create a different set of practices and a different set of beliefs. And as I say, it's happened since the beginning. I mean, we'll be going to the Lord's table by use of 1 Corinthians 11, well, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not to mourn? And no, they're proud of it. It's Pride Month in Corinth. You're arrogant, he says, as you embrace this particular kind of sensuality. And my name is blasphemed among the nations because of you. Um, He goes on, the way of truth is blasphemed. Uh, That's why we... Russ read Psalm 119, verse 30. Now, in the English translation, uh, it properly reflects what's in the Hebrew Bible. It's, it's the way of faithfulness. But Peter's almost certainly looking at the Septuagint of Psalm 119, verse 30. That's what he knew. And there, instead of faithfulness, it's truth. And hence, he says, the way of truth. The way of truth is blaspheme. The way of God is blaspheme um, because of, of you. It's held in derision because of, of you. Um, well, that's what we're up against. That's where we live. The blaspheme language is almost certainly an allusion over to Isaiah 52.5. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is blasphemed. Well, what's going on there? Well, what kind of God lets their people go into exile? How weak and pathetic must God be? Look at the people are going off into Assyria, and then they're going off into Babylon. 
Well, they're actually going off there because God is perfectly faithful. He warned them. He threatened them with that very thing. And now he's, he's carrying it out. Just read Deuteronomy 28. But they don't know that. It looks to them like God can't take care of anybody. And so his name is blasphemed. And when false teaching gets the reputation of genuine Christianity, which is what it certainly has in our generation, right? Where are the true Christians according to NPR, CBS, ABC? That's where the flag hangs. That's, 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 the, that's genuinely loving Christianity. That's where the flag hangs. Peter says, nothing new under the sun. Thirdly, There is much at stake in hanging on to the reality of divine judgment. There's nothing, there's much at stake, there's much at stake in hanging on to the reality of divine judgment. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep Five years ago, of course, is the, you just can't help but go back to it because it's just amazing, right, that you can see a television preacher just look straight in the camera and say, you know what, the Lord has told me he wants, he wants me to have a new jet. It's about $54 million. Jesse Duplantis. So you just send in the money. And, uh, oh, by the way, I mean, don't, I mean, there's no greed here. I mean, I'm devoting I'm, I'm going to uh, donate the old jet to another ministry. You know, as soon as I get the new $54 million jet. What? Greed. Greed. How did he do that? Well, he promises everybody the hundredfold. You send me this money and then the Lord will give you 100%. 100 times your investment to me. So you send me $10, you're getting 1000 You send me $1,000, you think about it, you send me $10,000, whoa. That's going to be a return. We'll see. But that never happens to anybody, but they send the money anyway. You send the money anyway. He has been flying on jets for years. Um, But it's not just money, right? It's greed of reputation. You want to be well thought of? You want to be well thought of. You want to be referred to as among the genuine Christians. And more than that, just think, think of the doctrine of judgment. Pop culture lasts 70 years. I'm not even 70 years old. But last 70 years. If you show up, if you show up in a movie, if you show up in a television program, if you show up in an interview, if you show up in anything and you believe in divine judgment... What is your character like? What's he like? What's she like? 
mean-spirited moron, a rube, an idiot, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And hence the disappearance of the doctrine of judgment. It's okay to believe in God, but don't you go believing in in judgment. That would be that would be really, really, really ridiculous. Really, really, really foolish. And so a story like we'll see referred to next week by Peter. Sodom and Gomorrah. We celebrate Sodom now. In Christian circles. We celebrate Sodom now. And the culture cheers us on if we do. That's where we live. That's what's going on. Because there's false teaching among us. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago. Sodom was judged a long time ago. It's not idle. And their destruction does not sleep. Which says, it's coming. It's coming. Judgment is coming. Let me just read and then we'll go make our way to the table. A couple of selections from Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 2 and 3. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. Verse 4. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. As for me, I have set my king in Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of their decree. And then he closes off in verse 9 and 10. You will break them with a rod of iron, dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, or rulers of the earth, be wise concerning what? Concerning the judgment of God. Be warned about what? Be warned about the the reality of the judgment of God. Be wise. Be warned. Are you wise? Have you been warned? Do you believe in the judgment of God? There's no question the Bible believes. It teaches it. There's no questions that Orthodox Christian teaching has taught it and repeated it for the last 2,000 years in all of its faithful expressions. But we don't live in a vacuum. Do you believe in it? You see, it's one of the things that takes us to the table of the Lord is the sense that we need Forgiveness and rescue. 
After all, what is it that broke the body of Christ and shed his blood? So, well, it was a combination of the Roman Empire and, and the Jews. But whose plan was it, ultimately? What was God's plan? Jesus says that repeatedly. He calls it in advance over and over again to his disciples. Son of man must be given over and be hated and beaten, eventually killed. Then he'd be raised on the third day. And our salvation is tied up with that. The wrath of God strikes his own son. Referred to as the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. The wrath of God strikes his own son in the place of all those who believe. Place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So number one, is that you? Is that you? But secondly, do you embrace the teaching of Jesus? Do you follow the way of Jesus, the way of truth, as it's put in Psalm 119, verse 30, the way of truth, the way of faithfulness. Does God's word shape the contours of your life such that it would be some indication that the word of God is written on your heart, that you're a new covenant believer? Because the death of Christ and his shed blood is, as Paul will say in the text I'm about to read, the new covenant in your blood. It's the new covenant. It's for new covenant people who have the law written on their heart. Faith is the foundation of their attachment to all that God has said and to Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Let me read these familiar words as the men come who will serve communion. For I received from the Lord that which I also have given to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And having given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is in behalf of you. This do for my remembrance. Likewise also he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you may eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We practice open communion in the free church, which is to say, you're welcome to the table if you are a born-again believer, if you are a new covenant believer. The table is for you and it's yours. But if you're simply a formal sort of Christian, think that this judgment stuff is maybe way, way, way overblown, it's probably not for you. Probably not for you. You don't see yourself as needing to escape in any way the wrath of God. You haven't done anything all that bad. It's not for you. It's for those who know they need a substitute. For those who know they need a savior. 
for those who know they need sins forgiven, for those who know they need a path to follow, the path of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The men would stand. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the body. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great promise and for your great assurance that you did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will you not also with him freely give us all things? We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his broken body. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.